0: I want to begin today by asking you a question to consider. The question is, how hard is it to be a follower of Jesus? How hard is it to be a follower of Jesus? And I want to make sure that I'm clear what I'm asking is not how hard is it to be saved. Sometimes we we think, well, if you're saved, obviously you are a follower of Jesus. Well, in a small sense, that is the beginning of the process. But to be truly following Jesus is something different than just being saved. I'm a, a little bit concerned that sometimes in an effort to persuade people to accept Christ as their Savior, which we ought to do, that we can sometimes mistakenly give people the idea that there's no cost or commitment involved in being a disciple of Jesus. And we can inadvertently paint a very one-sided picture of what being a Christian really is. Being a Christian in reality is not easy, and in fact for us in and of ourselves, it's impossible that we without doing what God has told us to do and submitting to God, are not capable of being a true disciple of Christ in and of ourselves. In the Lord's ministry here on earth, it wasn't long before a number of people began to flock to the Lord Jesus Christ, to hear His preaching and teaching, to see the miracles that he did. And at times, crowds would gather by the thousands to listen to him. And most people would equate those crowds with success and say, well, Jesus obviously was was successful in what he was doing because look how so so many people were, were following him. But on a couple of different occasions, Jesus said some things ...that were designed to thin the crowd. To communicate to people that, hey, if you're going to follow me... ...it's going to be kind of tough. And you need to understand what is involved. And in Mark chapter 8, we find one of those instances where Jesus just gets very honest... ...to make sure people understood all that was involved in being a follower of Christ... Look with me down at verse number 34. We'll read from there to verse number 38, the end of the chapter. Mark chapter 8, verse 34. It says, and when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also. So he's got the general crowd that had been coming and listening and following. And now... He's, he's called them all together along with him and his disciples. He said to them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospel's, the same shall save it. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul?" Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. In these verses, Jesus gave his disciples and the crowd that was gathered there a lesson on the cost of discipleship. He made it clear that that process was costly. There has to be a denial of self, a decision to bear the burden of discipleship and a daily commitment to keep following. But he also made it very clear that the payoff was well worth it. If we willingly surrender our lives to God and to the gospel, then we are actually saving it. But if we try to save our lives and hoard it for ourselves, then we're actually losing out. And for this reason, following Christ ought to be the priority over any material pursuits or material possessions. And then he warns that as high as the cost of discipleship might be, the penalty for not being a follower of Christ is even higher. Yes, we will have to pay a price to follow Jesus, but the cost of following Jesus is well worth it. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd bless us as we look at this passage of Scripture today. We need your help to clearly understand it. And then to be able to live it every single day. We need your daily help. So Lord, I pray that you would bless your word as you've said you would. And Lord, it's my prayer that if there's anyone here today that does not know If Christ is their Savior at all, then today that that question would be settled for them and that they would make the choice to trust Jesus for salvation. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now as we look at these verses this morning, I want to, from the beginning, make sure that we're clear in a very important distinction. When I speak of being a disciple of Christ and living as a true disciple, I am talking about something different than than just being saved. I do not want you to get the impression that salvation comes from some work of our own, that by doing certain things that we earn our salvation. That is not the truth. The truth is salvation is by grace through faith alone. When I speak of being a true disciple of Christ, what I'm talking about is living as a true Christ follower. It is possible to be saved and not act like it. And so what we're going to see today is that to act like a true Christian, to be a true disciple of Christ, is going to cost you something. But it is well worth it. Number one, let's notice the process of discipleship that Jesus lays out in verse number 34. Now again, there's a large crowd gathered here. We don't know exactly how many, but it very easily could have been in the thousands. Could have been a lot of the people left from earlier in the chapter that he had fed. There were 4,000 at that time we know. And so there was a significant crowd that was gathered here. And as you think about Jesus, again, in his earthly ministry, oftentimes he had these big crowds, you put yourself in Jesus's position. You've been working hard to communicate truth to people, and now people are beginning to listen. Our temptation would be to say or to do whatever we need to do to make sure that we keep all of these people around. So when Jesus makes this statement, this proclamation in verse 34, there's, a, there's an aspect of it that just seems a little odd to us. Because he looks at this, this large crowd and he says, whosoever will come after me, yeah, that's what we're wanting, people to be followers of Christ, right? Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now that right there just to most people does not sound like an appealing proposition. That is not what we would equate with some people's idea of, of, of modern ministry, that uh, you, you just need to tell people that if they'll follow Jesus, then, then they will never have any problems ever again. A lot of what is popular today in Christianity is actually a false notion that if you just call yourself a follower of Jesus well, then life will be perfect. You'll have all the money that you need. You'll never have any problems in your relationships. Your job will always be outstanding and everything will just be absolutely perfect. And while that might sound nice, it's not true. And Jesus said to this crowd, if you want to follow me, here's what you need to do. First of all, deny yourself. Second of all, take up your cross. And third, Follow me. Let's think about this process. First of all, he says that the process of discipleship involves a denial. A denial. He says you have to deny yourself. What exactly does that mean? Obviously, denying yourself is essential to be a disciple of Christ because that's the very first thing he says. If you want to follow me, here's what you have to do. Start by denying yourself. Because being a disciple of Jesus, being a follower of Jesus, begins with this simple notion. I'm not going to do what I want. I'm going to do what God wants me to do. And see, that's hard for our flesh. That's hard for us. Every one of us wants to do what we want to do. Every one of us bristles at the idea of other people telling us what to do. We want to figure out what we want in life, and we want to pursue that, and we want our pleasure, our happiness, our success. That's just our natural tendency. But denying yourself means not allowing your wants, your comfort, your pleasure, or your preferences, or your understanding, or anything about you to influence your decisions any longer. It means that you say no to you and yes to God in every circumstance. That's where discipleship starts. It's not being consumed with what you want and what pleases you. It's being consumed with what God wants and with what pleases God. We have a lot of good illustrations of this in the Bible. One of them is Moses in the Old Testament. He's a great example of someone who denied himself so that he could follow God. In Hebrews 11, we read in verse 24, By faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect under the recompense of the reward." Remember Moses was rescued from the river by Pharaoh's daughter and he was raised as a prince in Egypt. But when he got to be an adult, there came a point in his life where he made a decision to deny himself the pleasures, the prestige, the wealth, all that the world had to offer him as his rightful possession, being a prince of Egypt. He chose to deny that so that he could follow God, so that he could identify with God's people. He went from being one of the wealthiest people in the world to being a nobody and owning almost nothing. Now that is truly denying yourself. But he did that because he understood that even the reproach that comes by being aligned with Christ, by being associated with God, even the reproach of that is a greater wealth than all the wealth that the world could offer. For you and I to be a true disciple of Christ, we have to deny ourselves the desires that we might have in order to do what God wants us to do. And for every Christian, that very first denial that we must make comes at the point of salvation. To be a disciple of Christ, you must first of all be saved. Salvation is simply when you recognize, first of all, that you're a sinner. And because of your sin, you deserve to be punished for that sin. God says that the punishment for sin is death and hell for all of eternity. You recognize that, you acknowledge that, you agree with God about that. That's step number one. And then you make a choice that you're not going to try and solve the sin problem yourself through your own works, but instead you're going to trust in what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for you. The message of the gospel is that simple truth that Jesus died on the cross, was buried, and rose again for our sin. And that if we place our faith in Him, He will save us. He will give us eternal life. And that we cannot save ourselves. And when you acknowledge the fact that you are a sinner, and when you place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ to save you from your sins, the Bible says that God saves you. Now, that is a very humbling experience because it requires you to admit that you're a sinner. And number two, that you cannot save yourself. A lot of people will admit the fact that they've done wrong, but they don't really admit the extent of their sinfulness. They think, well, I know I've done things wrong, but I'm not that bad. I'm not so bad that I deserve hell. And so to admit that, yes, sin is that bad, and to agree with what God says, that the wages of sin is death, requires a denial of yourself, a humility. And then to go a step further and to say, okay, I am that bad, but also I can't do anything to fix it. You know, Most of us are wired to be fixers. Something's wrong, we want to try and fix it. We want to figure out the problem, figure out a solution, and fix the problem. And we do the same thing spiritually. We admit we're sinners, okay, that's a problem, but I got this, I can fix it. I can join this church, I can follow these steps of this religious system that's been laid out, I can be a good person, I can do this, I can make up for my sin, I can fix the sin problem. And it's very humbling to to actually admit, no, I can't fix the sin problem. To realize that God says even our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. That nothing good that we could do would ever be enough to make up for any of our sin requires a denial of self. So that's the very first denial, the very first step in becoming a disciple of Christ is salvation if you've never come to the point in your life where you've made the decision to trust Jesus alone, then that is step number one. And then that step leads you to live that life of self-denial. That from then on you realize, I had nothing good whereby I could save myself. And there's still nothing good in me except what God is doing in me. I, I cannot live the Christian life in my own strength. I cannot do what I want to do and, and, and honor the Lord and live a life that is blessed. I have to deny myself so that I can follow God. There has to be a denial. But then the second step in the process, there has to be a decision. Jesus makes a statement in verse 34 to this crowd that was gathered, many of whom at least had an appearance of wanting to follow Jesus. He said, now, once you've denied yourself, you've got to take up your cross. Now, we read that and we immediately associate that idea with what Jesus would later do, dying on the cross for our sins. We see that there's a picture there. But put yourself in Mark chapter 8, for the people hearing this for the first time, Jesus had not yet died on the cross. The cross was a means of execution. So it would be roughly equivalent of somebody saying today, uh, you need to deny yourself and take up your electric chair to execute yourself. You need to take up your lethal injection. You need to take up your... Firing squad. You need to take up your hangman's noose. See, those are the kinds of things that when people thought of a cross in Mark chapter 8, that's what they thought of. They didn't think about jewelry someone wears or something you put on top of a steeple or some symbol of salvation. To them, it was an absolute symbol of death. It meant that they had to make a decision to ultimately die to themselves. And they had to take up that cross. That was an act of decisiveness that Jesus was calling them to. And being a true disciple of Christ is a decision that you must make. It's a choice. It's not something that happens on accident. It is something that you must choose to do. In another passage where this same story is related, it says... Take up thy cross daily. We'll get to that in just a minute. The aspect of a regular commitment to this, but it is a decision that we must make. You see, when you trusted Christ as your Savior, at that moment, Jesus set you free from sin. He gave you liberty. You were no longer a slave to sin. He set you free. But some people misunderstand what that freedom means. Some people misconstrue the freedom, the liberty we have in Christ as the liberty to do whatever we feel like doing. But it's not. Liberty in Christ is not the freedom to do whatever we want to do. Liberty in Christ is the freedom to serve God with our lives. Before salvation, we couldn't do that because we were slaves to sin. But once Jesus set us free from sin, we had the ability to serve God With our lives. Romans chapter 6 verses 11 through 13 says, Likewise reckon ye yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof, Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God and those that are alive from the the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. When we combine the idea of denying ourself and this decisiveness about dying to self, what we end up with is the biblical idea of surrender. Neither yield ye yourselves as instruments of unrighteousness, but yield yourselves to God. To be a true disciple of Christ, you must be totally surrendered to God. Romans 12:1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. You know, the thing about a sacrifice, a literal sacrifice on an altar, it has no will of its own. It has no will of its own. And what God says to all of those who would follow Him is that if you're going to be a true follower of Jesus, then you cannot have a will of your own. You say, well, I want to do this and this with my life, and so I'm going to get Jesus to help me. That's not discipleship. Discipleship is when you say... I don't want to do anything with my life except what God wants me to do. That's true discipleship. And that is a decision, a choice that you must make. And it is, again, entirely possible to be saved and on your way to heaven, but living a life of selfishness and a life of stubborn rebellion against God and saying, no, I'm going to do what I want to do, and not living a life of surrender. What you must understand, as we'll see later in this passage, that is that it's not worth it to live that kind of a selfish, stubborn life. Only the life of surrender to God is truly worth it. There must be a denial, there must be a decision. And then, number three, in the process of discipleship, there has to be a daily commitment. Jesus said in our text here, Take up His cross and follow Me. That's a a present tense kind of thing. Every moment of every day, this is what you're doing. You are following Christ. What does it mean to follow Christ? Well, it's kind of like when we were kids and we played follow the leader on the playground. When you play follow the leader, one child is the leader and they go around the playground and they'll go up the steps and down the slide and across the monkey bars and run around in circles and everybody following behind them is supposed to mimic them and do whatever they do. Up the stairs, down the slide, across the monkey bars, around in circles, whatever it is, you're following the leader, you're mimicking them and all that they do. Following Christ means that you're mimicking Christ. You're living like Christ would live saying the things he would say, doing the things he would do, thinking the things he would think. That's what it means to be a follower of Christ. We get kind of confused today because in our day and age we have social media and uh, you can go online and you can follow people online. And all that means is is that basically if they post something new, you'll get an alert. (laughs) We say, well, I'm a follower of so-and-so. That is not the same as being a follower of Jesus. Being a true follower of Jesus means you're mimicking Him in all that He does. And that is something that we must do daily. Daily. Consistently. You see, the, the, de- the decision is made at a point. I'm going to follow Jesus. But that decision has to be managed. Because every single day, you're going to be tempted to go back on that. You're going to face new challenges and new temptations every single day, and you have to consciously choose, I'm not going to do this because I'm denying myself and I'm following Christ. I'm not going to do what I want to do. I'm going to do what God wants me to do. You have to make that decision every single day. But also understand this. There's a positive side to this daily discipleship, and that is every single day gives you new opportunities to display Christ's character in your life. You're faced with a challenging situation. A lot of times we think in terms of, I've just got to resist the temptation to give in to sin. And we don't think of it in positive terms of, how can I show Christ in my response here? How can I demonstrate Christ's likeness? How can I mimic Jesus in this? So yes, there's new challenges every day, but there's also, with that, new opportunities. And that's the exciting part of being a disciple of Jesus. It never gets boring. (laughs) There's always something. Every season of life presents new twists and new turns. And we get to learn in new ways how can we, as a follower of Jesus, accurately imitate Him in our life right now. But that's a daily commitment. It's one of those things that... It's kind of a two-edged sword in that the longer you go on as a disciple of Christ, some things just become easier because there's more of a habit, if you will. And I'm going to respond this way and not that way. But then the other side of it is, is that over time, you can get kind of too used to it, you know. And you forget to really think about and consider what you're doing as a follower of Christ. And that's why every single day we must affirm our commitment to being dead to self and alive to serve God and choose to follow Him in true discipleship. That's the process of discipleship. A denial, a decision, and a daily commitment. But notice number two, the payoff of discipleship in verse number 35. Jesus says for, so this is introducing a explanation here for whosoever will save his life shall lose it but whosoever shall lose his life for my sake in the gospels the same shall save it when it comes to the payoff of discipleship the principle is this giving everything in order to be a disciple of Christ brings great reward notice how Jesus explained this he said if you save your life that is for yourself, you're going to lose it. But if you lose your life for God's sake and the Gospels, then you'll save it. And it causes us all to stop and ask the question, how am I spending my life? How am I spending my time every single day and thus spending my life? Because how you spend your life will determine how rewarding your life will be. A lot of people just simply waste their lives. Many people spend their time and invest their life in the wrong things. But to us, our life is our most precious commodity. We only get one. We don't get mulligans. We don't get do-overs. We don't get to come to the end of our life and say, you know what, I should have done things better. Let me go back and fix it. And we all have this just kind of a natural understanding that, 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 that life is precious and so, because of that, we tend to be very protective and possessive of it. And I'm not just talking about the fact that we are living, as in protecting our life from death, but, but the fact that what I'm doing with my life, I tend to be very protective of that, very possessive of that. I want to choose what I do with it, and I want to do what I want to do with it. I want to save my life for me. Okay, it's kind of like, you know, if I get uh, a bag of snacks for, as a gift from someone, you know, I know that I should be a nice person and share it. Let my family have some and let some other people have some, but that's not what I really want to do with it. You know what I really want to do with it? I want to save it for me, you know. I want to hide the package of Oreos in my closet where nobody can get to it. That's what I want to do with it. And we all have that same tendency with our life. We we tend to save it for ourselves. I want to do with it what I want to do with it. But Jesus said, if you do that, and thus you're not denying yourself, if you save your life, notice what he says, you're actually going to lose it. You're actually going to lose it. Using the same example of snacks, because I identify with food illustrations very well, I have to laugh at uh, one of my children who's not here because he's at college. I won't tell you which one I'm talking about. He likes soft drinks, Coke. He doesn't drink it very much, but when he does, he likes it. And he's got this weird thing. And I'll tell him I told this, and you can tell him too, but he'll agree with me. Like if he gets a 20-ounce bottle of Coke, he wants to save that Coke as long as he can. So he'll open it up, he'll take a few swallows, and he'll stick it in the fridge. Come back an hour or two later, take a little more, stick it in the fridge. Come back a day or two later. Two weeks later, there's that much Coke in the bottom of this bottle still in the fridge. Now any rational human being would throw it away because now it's flat and it's just blah, you know. He was saving it, but all of us would say, nah, he really lost it. See, me, I'm going to get the maximum benefit out of it. You know, it's all gone right there. Good, great. I had my enjoyment. So like that, only in a serious way. When we try to save our life for ourselves, we end up losing it. We end up ruining it. We do not get the maximum reward. It goes stale. It goes flat. It's not a life of satisfaction. It's not a life of meaning. It's not a life of fulfillment. It's not ultimately a life that's unrewarding. But in contrast to that, when we give our life for God's sake and for the Gospels, when we lose ourselves in God's will and in God's plan and in God's purpose, that's when we truly save it. The reward of our life will be that it is meaningful, that it's fulfilling, that it's satisfying, that it's blessed, that it produces true joy. And it's not going to leave a bad aftertaste like flat Coca-Cola will. That's the payoff of discipleship. You know, Solomon found out this sort of thing. The book of Ecclesiastes is a fascinating little book in the Old Testament. It talks about his Solomon's search for meaning. He looked all over the place in all kinds of different ways to find meaning and satisfaction in life. And what did he conclude about just about everything? Vanity of vanity, all its vanities. It's all worthless. He tried living for money. That didn't satisfy. He tried living for pleasure. That didn't satisfy. He tried living for knowledge. That didn't satisfy. Everywhere he turned, he found life to be meaningless until he turned to God. And he said this in Ecclesiastes 12, 13, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. That's the conclusion. That's the purpose of life. And if we look for meaning anywhere else, we're going to be disappointed. If we save our life for us, we'll end up losing it. But if we lose our life to God and to the gospel, we'll end up saving it. So that brings us to the next point the priority. Given this payoff, it should be a priority to us to be a disciple of God, to be a follower of Jesus. Verse 36, For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Now the very first application of this truth is in the matter of salvation. Some people will not accept Christ as their Savior because they know that to do that they'd have to give up their worldly pursuits and they're not willing to deny themselves that. And so they do not trust Christ as their Savior. They live for themselves. They do whatever they want to do and some of them are very successful at it. But in the end, they lose their soul. Now notice the extreme that Jesus paints here. He says, what if you gained the whole world? Let's just take it to the extreme here. Let's say that you were literally so successful that you end up owning the whole world. Now, why in the world you'd want to do that, I don't know. That's a lot of grass to cut. But anyway, to have to, let's just think if, if you were able to do that, would it be worth it? Would it be worth it? Well, let's, let's, let's tone that down just a little bit because that's kind of hard maybe for us to wrap our minds around. Let's just say it this way. If you were to get everything that you wanted right now, think about everything that you want in life right now. Rattle off a few things in your mind. I would like this and that. and the, I'd like a good-paying job. I'd like a, this, that, and the other, and this kind of car, and this kind of house, and be able to do this, and this, this, all these things. All right, you've got those things in your mind that you would want right now. If you were to get everything in your life that you want right now, would you be truly happy? Would it be enough to make you truly happy? Would it be enough to make you satisfied, fulfilled? Would it make your life meaningful? And the answer is no, it wouldn't. Even if you got everything that you think you want right now, it wouldn't be worth it. What shall it profit a man if he gained the whole world but lose his own soul? Or, what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? What Jesus is saying here is that our priority then must be the pursuit of discipleship, not the pursuit of material possessions or worldly ambition. It must be our priority because being a disciple of Jesus is more profitable than worldly pursuits. This is about developing an eternal mindset as you determine to do what God wants you to do, I'm not going to think about just the here and now and what what might make me happy for a moment. I'm not going to think about the short-term only. I'm going to look at the long-term. I'm going to think about the long game here. That's something I see all the time, is that people make very important decisions based only on short-term outcomes. Well, this is going to help me right now, so I'm going to go ahead and do it. What about a year from now? What about five years from now? What about ten years from now? Are you even thinking about what's going to come down the road? People are so consumed with just right now. And that's, the, by and large, the culture that we live in today. And it's almost enough to make your head spin. Everything is just like right now, this moment, get what you want right now, and then the next moment everything changes. It's just sometimes hard to keep up with. We see it in our, in our economy. You know, every year they're coming out with new models of everything, you know. You have a phone that was made in 2021, what are you, a caveman? You know, your car is more than five years old, what's wrong with you? And we see it in every area of life. We see it in politics, we see it in spiritual life as well. It's all about right now. What's going to make me feel good now? What's the immediate effect going to be? But wait a second. What about the long term here? It might make you feel good for a second, but what then? You see, spiritual things must be our priority because spiritual things are eternal. You don't get more long term than eternal. Colossians chapter 3 says, Set your affections on things above and not on things on the earth. For you are dead and your life is hid with Christ and God. We should not set our affections. Our loves and our passions should not be about earthly things that are all going to pass away one day. Our loves and our affections and our passions should be about eternal things, heavenly things. They should be the priority. And then finally, in verse 38, we see the penalty. Jesus utters some very strong words here. He says in verse 38, "...whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and my words, in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed, when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels." So here's the opposite side. We can either be a disciple of Christ and willingly follow Him, or we can be ashamed to follow Jesus. And what he says in verse 38 is that there is a penalty for not being a disciple and a follower of Christ. Now again, the very first application of this is in the the area of salvation. If you are too ashamed to trust Jesus as your Savior, then you're going to miss heaven. And you're going to spend eternity separated from God in a place called hell. You say, well, I'd have to admit that I'm a sinner. Exactly. Exactly. We say, well, well, I'd have to admit I couldn't save myself. You're right. We say, well, I'd have to admit that what I thought was wrong. Yeah. Well, I'd have to, I'd have to go against what I was taught growing up. Maybe. You we say, well, I, I'm not willing to do that. I'd be ashamed to do those things. Well, if that's the case, then you're going to miss heaven. You will not receive salvation because it requires you... To not be ashamed to trust Jesus as your Savior. But just as with every other area, even those who are saved can sometimes be ashamed. Instead of standing up and identifying with Christ, they fear and they cower in the corner and they hide the fact that they're Christians. Now notice how Jesus described, he said, Whosoever shall be ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation. He identified his generation as adulterous and sinful. I ask you, is our generation any better? Of course not. That means two things. Number one, it means that the temptation to deny Christ is going to be great. We're going to be pressured to go along with the world. To be silent about what we believe. We're gonna be tempted to hide the fact that we're Christians. We're gonna be tempted to go incognito, to be camouflage Christians. We're gonna be tempted to do that. Because to stand up and identify as a true follower of Christ who believes the Word of God and by the grace of God lives the Word of God is gonna put ourselves in a bullseye, gonna make ourselves a target of the world's attacks. And so we'll be tempted to say, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to go there. I know I'm saved, I'm good, I'm just going to try and, you know, keep to myself. And I don't, I don't want to draw any tension, I don't want any conflict, I don't, I'm just going to do my own thing over here. And while we may not deny Christ with our words, our lives are a denial of Him. But with the adulterous and sinful generation, there also comes a greater opportunity. Yes, there's greater temptation, but think of it this way. With a world as bad as it is, it's never been easier to stand out. (laughs) As a follower of Christ, it's never been easier to present a contrast because the world has gotten so crazy and the world has gotten so wicked and the world has gotten so sinful that we live in a day and age that if somebody stands up and says, No, I believe a man is a man because he was born that way and a woman is a woman because she was born that way, and the world says, You're a hater! It wasn't too long ago that that was considered science. And see what I'm saying is it's not, it, it's not all that hard to have a contrast to the world today because it is so wicked. The opportunity is greater than ever. We can almost approach it this way and say just do the opposite of the world and you'll be on the right track. Now it is more than that. We don't want to reduce it to that overly simplistic summary, but the fact of the matter is we do live in an adulterous and sinful generation. We have an opportunity to identify with Christ, but if we instead are ashamed, and what does that say about our appreciation for what Jesus has done for us? A Christian who hides the fact that they are a follower of Christ does not have true appreciation for all that Jesus did to save them from their sin. Jesus Christ suffered and died on the cross so that you could be saved from your sin. He was not ashamed of you. In fact, He took your shame and He took mine. And as He hung on the cross in utter humiliation, He did that for you and for me. Can we not at least stand up and say, that's my Lord. I'm a follower of Jesus. Call me whatever names you want to call me make fun of me however you make one, want to make fun of me but I'm a follower of Christ can we not do that are we ashamed that we are Christians are we trying to hide the fact instead of pursuing total discipleship just know this that if that is how you are living as a Christian incognito hiding the fact that you're a follower of Christ the price is going to be too high to pay you are will regret it. You'll get to the end of your life and you'll look back and you'll say, I wish I had done something different. You'll realize that the the taunts and the jokes that were told at your expense really did not matter all that much. You'll realize that what you thought would make you happy and pursuing your own ends and your own goals really were not worth it. That doesn't mean that Christians who fail to follow Christ fully lose their salvation either. But all that Jesus is saying here in these verses is that if you are saved, then there should be a desire to follow Him and identify with Him. And so by some measure, this this is a good test to take. Because friend, if there is absolutely no desire in your heart today to follow Jesus, if this whole idea of being a Jesus follower to you is just ridiculous, you don't want anything of it, then you do not have the Lord Jesus Christ in your heart. In some measure, to some degree, even if it's so small that it's barely perceptible, but if you are a child of God, there will be in your heart some desire to follow Him. If there is none, then friend, you need to get saved. You need to trust Jesus Christ today. Paul said in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. To everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. 1 Peter 4.16, Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. What's the cost of discipleship? It's everything your whole life you have to give all of your desires, all of your wishes, all of your skills, all of your talents all of your plans, all of everything to him you have to deny yourself to be a true disciple of Jesus isn't cheap but it's worth it it's worth it because that's the only way to live a life of meaning and fulfillment and satisfaction that is blessed by God, and ultimately a life that brings Him glory. Don't waste your life living for yourself. Live for God and be blessed.